Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to Jetlagged. My name is Chathan Jane, aviation geek extraordinaire, and I'm delighted to bring you stories by people from all walks of life about how travel has increased their humanity. When we talk about travel, we often talk about where we went or what we did, but we don't always get into how travel can change our lives by giving us new perspectives and ideas, or greater clarity on our own individual challenges. It's part of the larger question of what happens when we take ourselves out of our comfort zone, when we take ourselves off of autopilot, when we go to a faraway place and are unmoored by the unfamiliar, in the fogginess brought on by being jet-lagged, what do we discover about ourselves and the world around us? For this episode, I'm honored to have Michael Gill, aka the Flying Scotsman in my mind, with us today. Michael is Scottish proud, passionate about football, a lawyer by trade, and in his most recent career iteration as the executive director of the Air Transport Action Group, an advocate for how we can travel and enjoy all the benefits of traveling sustainably. Michael, welcome to Jetlagged. Chetan, good afternoon. Thanks very much for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you here. This is great. And as I mentioned in my introduction, you've had several career and life transitions very successfully, as I might add, as you are about to embark on a new life in a leadership position at ICAO over in Montreal. So when you look back on your on your life and all of these different things you've done in different countries that you've done, what has travel meant to you? And especially now that you can look back on a period where you haven't traveled during the pandemic, how do you see travel at the moment? It's a great question because to me, travel has meant opportunity. It's meant um, the ability to live in different countries, to have different personal experiences, but I suppose most notably different professional experiences, which I would never have had um, otherwise. So as you said, I was born and brought up in Scotland. I lived there till I was 17, till I went away to, to study in, in, uh, in London, in, uh, in England. And Scotland is a fantastic country, but it's a fairly isolated, small uh, country in the north of Europe, as everyone knows. We didn't really travel much away from Scotland, right. you know, apart from a few, uh, a few unique examples of trips that, uh, that I made when I was when I was young, and it was only really when I began to work that I travelled extensively, that I really saw around the world. But I think certainly from an early age, the, the two or three significant memories I have of travel, I think um, definitely set something in my memory, set a foundation in my memory that made me realise that there was a uh, sounds a bit of a cliche, but a big bright world out there that is worth that was worth exploring, worth getting to know. I mean, my first ever trip on an aircraft uh, was, I was about uh, six or seven. Okay. We flew en famille, which for me was uh, myself plus four siblings, plus mom and dad, plus our grandmother. Uh, we went to North America. Um, I remember it was on an airline called Northwest Orient, which no longer exists, but it, it was all... It was all very exciting. It seemed a completely unique and, and foreign world uh, to sit inside this long tube of metal and suddenly find yourself literally on the other side of the ocean. I'll never forget um, leaving from Edinburgh. We had to do a fuel stop in Presswick Airport. Okay. <laughs> after only uh, after less than an hour's flying. Um, and I still remember my dad explaining to us all that Presswick Airport was the longest runway in Europe because it was the military airport that had been used. Uh, during uh, World War II. And I also remember him telling me that it was the only place in the British Isles where Elvis Presley ever set foot because he'd had to stop there on one of his trips 
well, um, in, the, in the US military. And, and it's funny, those little crazy little facts that, uh, that you retain after all the years. After our fuel stop in Presswick, we ended up in North America. We visited the Northeast, uh, went up to, to Canada, to Toronto. And I probably didn't sit foot on an aircraft for another, you know, eight or nine years. But it, okay. but it, it really planted some kind of seed in my brain that there was this amazing big world out there. And so I think that's what travel has meant for me. It's meant an opening of personal, but also I think significantly professional opportunities. Much as I I love Scotland and much as there, there is uh, people have fascinating careers in Scotland, I have done jobs that I could simply could not have done um, international roles that I simply couldn't have done um, if I stayed in my home country. And as you said, I'm about to embark on a, on a new opportunity to Montreal to work in the, um, the UN system in our, in our um, civil aviation regulator. Again, it's just something which I could never have done without travel. Yeah. Um, but travel also, I think, has given me that openness of mind, that different international perspective to, to try and seize those kind of opportunities. Do you ever think about the counterfactual in terms of what would have happened had you never left Scotland and what your life would have been like? Yeah, I, I, I do from time to time. Uh, I, I think it would have been uh, perfectly uh, happy. I think I would have had a great, a great lifestyle. I think I would have had a, a nice life. I would have probably stayed uh, closer with uh, childhood friends. I would probably have stayed closer on a day-to-day basis, at least with my family. I think I'd had a much closer, um, fa- um, closer day-to-day life with my family, which I haven't had and which I, I certainly have have missed out on. So, you know, there's um, there's ups and downs to everything. But, but what I often say when people ask me, you know, how did you end up here, either here physically right. in Geneva, or how did you end up doing this kind of job? I just don't know. I mean, you don't, you don't pre, these, these things aren't preordained, they're not pre-planned. You kind of go off on a path um, and, and life just takes you to a certain point, to certain junctions where you make choices. You know, I guess at some point I could have chosen to move home to to Scotland, but I chose to do something else. And and then you you end up where you are and you hopefully have made the most of it and you've hopefully tried to keep some links back with where you came from. But it's, it's certainly true. I think I would have had a different uh, life in the sense of a closer day-to-day lifestyle with my family and, and childhood friends than perhaps I have today. Yeah. It is incredible, isn't it? Because when you, I imagine when you made that decision to go to London to pursue your higher education, that unlocked a whole other series of decisions, which led to the life that you lead right now. So travel is kind of fascinating in that sense. It's several crossroads that you traverse, and you never quite know when you take that first step where it's going to lead. It's it's absolutely right. In my case, it actually kind of predates that, because I guess the other significant travel experience I had was when I was 14 my parents um, decided it would be a good idea for me to go and spend a term in school in France, in Paris. And in, fa- in fact, that was the first time I ever took an aircraft on my own. Right. So I can, I can very much remember that, trying to go through the airport, the whole travel process. Desperately the, scared of losing your passport. Absolutely. <laughs> and really not having a clue what was waiting for you at the other end. So I spent four months in a lycée in, in Paris. Okay. Uh, I lived with a French family. I went to normal French school. I was certainly a bit lost, I have to say, but it was um, it was an extremely formative experience. It was the first time I'd ever 
being away from home for that length of time. I only saw my parents once in four months. Of course, you know, as we say here today, four months seems nothing, you know. But I think when you're 14, 15, it's, That's a, long it's time. a pretty big chunk of time. You know, we didn't have email, we didn't have mobile phones. I, I spoke to them once a week. It was extremely formative. I mean, apart from anything else, just from a learning a, a language. But um, I think more importantly, that was really what set me on the path to think there is possibility out there to live somewhere else, to experience a different culture in a really you know meaningful way. It's funny, two things that occur to me when I think about it is as a parent myself, I'm not sure I would, you know, I could envisage sending my daughter off to do something similar right. in, in five years time. It, yeah. it, it absolutely terrifies me. So first, I think my parents were extremely brave to do it. Yeah. But also, you know, in later years, my, you know, my mum and dad used to sort of say, oh, wouldn't it be great if you still lived in Scotland? Why did you go and live abroad? And my reaction to them was, well, it was kind of your fault because you, <laughs> you showed you me, made me to do it. You yeah. made me do it and you showed me and uh, you encouraged me to do it, which, as I say, was a, a very brave decision, but also also goes to what you said earlier. It put me on a certain path, uh, certain junctures, certain decisions that were made that almost flowed from that, to be honest with you. So it goes back to my mind to when I was 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And in all of your travels for work or for fun, you mentioned this life-changing moment when you were 14 years old going off to Lycée in, in France. Is there a particular instance of travel that has had that profound effect on your life or that has stayed with you after all these years? Was it that experience or was it something else that that really comes to mind as as something that has stuck with you or something that has changed you? Oh, no, I, th I would go back to that, I that, think. Yeah. As a, you know, because as a 14-year-old, you're, you're extremely impressionable. Yeah. But you wanna, you're trying to make your way in the world. You're trying to you know, be a bit independent. And I mean, you know, I lived in central Paris for four months when I was 14. I lived with a family who, um, who were absolutely fantastic, similar family to mine, a lot, a lot, of, um, a lot of boys um, kicking around the house. But they also, I was also relatively independent and I you know I basically explored uh, Paris by foot over you yeah. know a series of four months you know from Paris is just a whole series of little villages so you kind of get to know um individual arrondissement just by wandering around and you know having a coffee and and there's still places I go to Paris now I think oh god I remember I came here you know yeah um so if to me that was it was definitely that it was uh it was it was the first time I'd been away from family it was the first time I'd felt really kind of independent to make some of my own decisions of what I was going to do on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, you know apart from the learning a language when you're that age it's so much easier but just feeling that you know I was a little bit in charge of my own life was yeah was quite nice and and yeah that, that definitely set me on a certain pathway I think yeah uh, <laughs> and was it something particular about Paris itself that really resonated with you? Or was it just the fact that you were 14 and you could have been anywhere and it would have been that same kind of profound experience? It's probably a bit of both. I mean, you probably could have sent me anywhere and it would have it mm. would have had a, an impact. But, you know, Paris is Paris. I yeah. mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the most wonderful cities in the world. I still sort of feel it's a bit home. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a pretty magical place place to go at that age and you know when you you sort of even grown up you know you've seen on film a bit like when you see new york and la or whatever but you'd seen paris in films and then to turn up and be in the same street where you'd seen a, a film being shot it, it was pretty magical so it's kind of a bit of both but i i think probably more the latter more paris is just so 
such an extraordinary place. Yeah. Um, it, it, it left its mark on me for sure. And I know you certainly, the language itself has left its mark on you. You, you practiced law in Paris and you are fluent in French and you intend on maintaining that. I think for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I went back and studied in in London, but then also in, did half of my law studies in Paris, and as a result of which was able to be admitted as a French uh, avocat at the same time as I was uh, admitted in the UK. And actually, I spent the early part of my career practicing in Paris, and I was doing litigation work related to the aviation industry. So I was in court probably once a week or once a fortnight, courts all over France, doing my own advocacy work, uh, which was great fun. I mean, great experience to see that profession up close and get kicked around courtrooms by judges. And, and to have it not in your native tongue yeah. was, I mean, kind of an extra challenge, but also I got, I have, must admit, I got a bit of a, a kick, a out, kick of out of it. A kick out of it, yeah. You know, and you, and that went from appearing in the, you know, cases in the Paris Court of Appeal to the, you know, the local court in the, the southwest of France in Montauban or um, some of these fantastic little French towns. So it was, it was, it was great. It was great fun. Um, um, but I guess, again, all stem, stemmed from that, uh, from that from formative that experience. experience. Yeah. yeah. And channeling your 14 year old self, <laughs> in you're in Paris, you're wandering around and you say that it's absolutely magical. What was it that you found just so special? Was it the architecture? Was it the food? Was it the language? What was it that really just kind of shook you and, and made you want to come back again and again? I think I loved, absolutely loved the Paris metro. I loved the yeah. smell of it. I loved the noises of it. I loved the way the the tunnels interconnected there was always a thing you know when we went to school there were certain points where you know people once you got to know the tunnels in the paris metro you could shave you know five minutes off your trip by taking shortcuts i love to kind of do those sort of things um and and to see the city laid out on a map like that with all these interconnected uh, metro lines I, I thought was 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 pretty cool um what i loved about it uh, you know above ground um i think in paris there's so many spectacular views the way the boulevards are set yeah. up um, to align with some of the, the significant monuments. So you can literally have these breathtaking views just by turning a corner. You know, Paris originally was a port. You know, if you look at the, the emblem of the Paris badge, it's a ship because it was, it was originally a port. And so a lot of originally was around the river. It was around the islands in the center of the river. And the Seine itself kind of goes right through the heart of the city. And there's so much that spreads from from its banks that i don't know i just I, it really captured me yeah. at that age i guess and now that we've been in this period where for the most part we haven't traveled in 15 or 16 months how has that felt for you not traveling after leading a life that was so full of it particularly in your in your last job has that been a relief or has that caused you to look at travel a bit differently do you miss it I almost look at it in two different ways. The travel I was doing for work, um, I have to be honest, I don't particularly miss. Yeah. I mean, because I was traveling on a, a really frequent basis, as many of us do um, working in the, um, the aviation travel industry. But I was uh, traveling almost on a weekly, if not you know, fortnightly basis. It made life um, interesting. It was a fascinating, fascinating work I was doing. I don't regret any of that. I don't regret the people I met through it and the place I got to see. But it made my own home life pretty challenging, I yeah. have to admit, for, you know, for my wife, for my kids. So I don't miss that part of it. I, I, must, I must confess, I don't miss sort of constantly wondering... Uh, 
you know, when do I need to pack? What do I need to pack? What time do I leave? What time will I get home? You know, how, how it's going to fit in with the, with the routine. So I, I must say I have appreciated the routine that the lack of travel has given me the chance to spend more time at home, spend more time with friends, to be honest, with friends here in, in, uh, in Geneva. Get to know Geneva as a city itself, which I, I really, we've taken the opportunity to do. So I don't miss that side of it. But travel for personal reasons, mm -hmm. I must say, I do find strange. I find the fact that our our universe for the last, what, 18 months has been limited to here in Geneva and wherever we've been able to travel, you know, just over the border to France and not really much more than that. And for someone, as I, you know, who, who was traveling so much for work over a long period of time, but also going back to, as I mentioned, that sort of formative experience of as a teenager, I've often wondered to myself, is that finished? Are we ever going to be able to do it again? Now, yeah. I'm certain we, we are. I think, I think we'll all get back to some kind of um, normality, as everyone keeps saying. But the thought has often crossed my mind, is that whole lifestyle, that experience that we had, is that is that finished is that a thing of the past i don't think it is but just the mere fact that 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 has that crossed thought my mind has that come, thought has, yeah. has come is has been interesting and and it's not a pleasant thought mm. it's not a pleasant thought because you you think on a, on a you know personal level what it means for you but it also broader more broadly for our society what does that mean the the opportunities that teenagers and students wouldn't get the the opportunities that you know professional opportunities people wouldn't get and then just that this the idea and i really believe that, that this this notion that we need to know different cultures know different ways of life to really understand them and uh, and avoid tension and conflict between people because they, they've never had the chance to to know each other or meet each other and, and so as you said just the mere thought that that has crossed my mind i, I found that interesting just to have to rationalize that yeah, and it's and it's interesting the point you raise because when you look at where the world is at the moment in terms of the misunderstanding that that is occurring or the lack of cooperation or the lack of I guess civil discussion or debate broadly in mm -hmm. in society, people losing the ability to really listen to someone who is different from them or who may have a different opinion of them and keep it civil without making it an issue of identity or making it an issue of you are insulting my fundamental being by by offering an opinion that is different from mine. Do you think that the lack of travel has played a role in some of what we're seeing at the moment? I, I'm, I'm almost certain it has. You see it in the way that people have responded to the pandemic itself, the way people have tried to attach the, this pandemic to certain individual countries, to the way that the, the pandemic has been managed. Uh, you know, I feel it's really heightened a, a blame culture. People want to be able to attach blame for what we've all lived through for the last 18 months, 15 months, whatever, to somebody, to, to a country, to a region. And and that, to me, is a, is a really worrying trend. I mean, I think at the end of the day, this thing just happened and we've had to deal with it. We will deal with it and we'll get through it and all will be well. But but people have constantly, both through the media, but also politicians, tried to attach some sort of blame to it somehow. And I do think that that has been exacerbated by the fact that people have not been able to meet. I mean, we right. see ourselves, we do, we spend our lives meeting virtually via, via computer screen and it just isn't the same. You You can't build the same level of trust you can't build the same level of understanding you just you can't get to know somebody if it's not somebody you already know over a computer screen and so when you put that onto a macro level as you say that the fact that we're in a world which seems to have been 
become smaller seems to almost have closed within its own borders. I think it, it just does heighten that because we're just we're just not getting to know each other, right? On a on a on a, on a big picture level, you yeah. know. And it's been good when you've seen some of these these major summits between world leaders, and you've seen that they've been able to actually get face to face. You hope that that will um, resolve progress. some of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need to be able to do it at our level as well. I think. Yeah. And returning to your old life for a second, pre-pandemic, the before times, as we call it, as we call it, I mean, you were traveling an extraordinary amount all over the world, focusing on sustainability issues, and I imagine you traveled a fair bit for fun as well. And so, being jet lagged is something that is very familiar to you, I would imagine. And so, I'm curious, how do you? approach jet lag is it something that it just became like an old coat that you would put on so you would wake up at 3 a.m at some hotel room in some part of the world and you would just say to yourself okay yeah here we go again this is par for the course or did it make you think about things differently or reflect on things differently in those in those quiet hours where there weren't distractions where you were in a foreign place how did you deal with it after traveling so much it's it's funny. Um, firstly, I mean, jet lag was is something even after well, over ten years of of significant travel. It's not something I ever got used to. I ever managed it. You know, I often hear people who you know say that uh, it just didn't affect them or that it didn't bother them or that they managed to get used to it. It was not something I ever got used to. So I, you know, I would, no matter the length of time away, no matter the trip, I would I would have to deal with just being tired. I remember the first time I really, it really uh, hit me. I was on, on a trip in Tokyo and I think, and uh, Japan must be seven or eight hours time difference from, from here. And it seemed, I think just beyond, it, it was beyond the limit of where you can just about manage it is when it gets into the really right. kind of, when jet, jet lag really comes into its own. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I had literally no idea where I was. Mm-hmm. And, and not just for five seconds, I, you know, a, a few minutes before trying to work out where I was, how I'd got there, who I was with. And I ended up phoning home and my wife kind of talked me through and, and that was all fine. But it, it was not a pleasant experience. Mm. Uh, I felt completely, um, uh, I think, uh, disoriented, rudderless, disoriented, way, yeah. really not, not really not quite sure uh, you know, where I was, what I was doing, what I was supposed to be doing. I remember that really struck me and I can remember it vividly. But how did I, I guess in answer to your question, how how did I then sort of deal with it over the years? Um, I, it's funny, I find it interesting. The way I like, I managed to turn it into a bit of a positive was I always felt you were managing to make days longer than the 24 hours that mm. uh, that they're supposed to last. You know, I always thought, okay, you got a couple of bonus hours here where you're not asleep or... You know, you, you've you've managed to eke thirty or thirty six hours out, out of the same calendar day. Well, you know, make make the most of it, and I, that's the way I've sort of managed to turn it into a into a bit of a positive. But it's true, there are moments where you, when you you wake up and you realize you aren't going to get back to sleep again. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you find yourself doing or thinking about in those in those moments? You know, when you have those four or five hours until everyone else wakes up, and you benefit, as you say, from the day seemingly having more hours than than you normally would have. How did you use that time? It's interesting, and, and I think I'd give two different answers. One, jet lagged in a foreign country in your hotel room or waking up jet lagged in an airplane 
in, in the middle of the night because I because I, I I think I would I'd have two different memories of that two different experiences of that on an aircraft what's interesting is I can often tell you or, or I I can t- I sort of tell you on a certain trip what film I watched or what music I listened to or what book I was reading and and I can still associate it with a trip you know I can remember a friend of mine mentioning John Mayer and I can remember the first time I ever listened to John Mayer was on a trip to Mexico because I just couldn't get to sleep and I listened to the albums that were on the on the thing Um, I can remember going to Australia reading about a half of the Count of Monte Cristo which is my favorite book anyway okay and I hadn't read it for a few years I went back to it and I can remember you know I'd sort of Abu Dhabi to Sydney leg where I I mean I just couldn't sleep and I you know I plowed through what is a what is a fantastic read <laughs> so so it's funny you associate I can still associate certain trips with um, with things like that a book or a film or a podcast or an album being in in hotel rooms in foreign countries is is, is kind of different because you. You feel you should jump out of bed and go and at least explore, but right. your your body is just so worn down. Screaming at you, screaming at you, just to stay where you are, and hopefully you'll fall asleep again. It's no secret; a lot of people do this. I I, I try and push myself to get up and either go to the gym, or if the weather's you know not too cold or not too warm, or I'm going and have a wander or a jog and and try and at least get some fresh air, some sunlight and, you know, get some exercise. I'm always torn by that because you, as I say, you you're, you feel you should be making the most of it, but your body's just um, telling you to try and stay yeah, under the so covers. You or Drag yourself out drag of bed. Yourself out. Um, and then as always happens, you know, you, you'll have had this as well. You, you manage to then fall asleep, you know, about half an hour before yes. you actually need to get out of bed <laughs> yes. to go to your meeting. And, and then that's a whole a whole challenge itself. in and of itself. Yep, absolutely. I think we've all we've all been there. It's interesting what you mentioned about being on an aircraft and really absorbing the literature or the music or or whatever art is in is in front of you because one of the fantastic things that I found about being on an aircraft is the lack of distraction. And all of a sudden you're just with whatever it is that you're doing and you're concentration level or your absorption of that is almost almost higher and it perhaps is more impactful yeah. um, because you're not surrounded by by the distractions you would have on the ground I never have the time to uh, home to sit down and read for six hours but it, it's great I guess it's, and some people like it now because they can really feel connected when they're in the air but it's not something I I, I don't I don't particularly appreciate it and I, yeah. I try not to avail myself <laughs> of it if I don't need to yeah <laughs> And when you're in this, you know, you mentioned the, the experience in Tokyo of when you were disoriented and, and more generally speaking, when you're in this state of being in a fog or being in, in between these two places, whether you're on an airplane or in a hotel room, has anything that you've done or thought about surprised you? No, I can't say I've had any sort of brilliant eureka moments. <laughs> I get, you know, my brain probably wasn't, was not been functioning properly. What what I, I do find, I think a lot about relationships. I think a lot about my own, my own family, my yep. relationship with my, my kids. Um, I think a lot about my, my siblings and parents mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and friends, you know, you, and you think about, uh, and I don't know why, whether it's because you do feel distant and you're isolated and you're on your own, but I think a lot about, you know, times where you may have disappointed them or you may have let mm. go down, but also think about, you know, some of the, some, some the, you know, good memories either in that place or, uh, you know, just generally. So that that's something that always struck me as I, I constantly went back to thinking about relationships with with people close to me. Because I guess in the kind of uh, 
professions we have, you spend a lot of time with people who are not your family or close right, friends. Right. Uh, and, and, and the business travel, I guess, almost exacerbates that. Right. Um, so maybe it's a function of realizing that this, you know, the, the work we're doing, which leads us to travel so much and spend so much time with, with other people in your jet lagged fog, as you said, it maybe makes you begin to, to question, well, okay, do I need to spend a bit more time on those, the relationships which are, you know, longstanding and you know meant meant something more over over a number of years so. yeah it's fascinating that you say that because it's it's what your mind is is telling you or your being is telling you as things quieten down the people that come into view are not necessarily people that are traveling with you right. or that are yeah. that you're in the conference room with or etc so that's kind of a it's a fascinating insight it's your life you know telling you Mm. what's important because as the external environment quietens down these people come to mind yeah yeah you know looking ahead you're you're moving to north america shortly and but thinking about when these travel restrictions are lifted and you can travel freely like in the before times we we hope where is a place that you would love to go and why? Or where is a place that you would love to go back to and why? I mean, I, f firstly, uh, like many people, I'd like to go home. And mm. to me, I'd like to go home to Scotland. I'd like to, and I'd like to go uh, back to, to Paris uh, yeah. and, and spend a bit of time catching up with family and friends, particularly particularly in Scotland. You know, we I haven't been home for over 18 months. Okay. Family is still there. And um, that's, that must that's be difficult. the first thing yeah. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to do. But if, you know, if you sort of think of back to normal travel if i was to do a, a fun trip an exotic trip somewhere i'd love to go back to with my family is vietnam we mm. went with my wife uh, about three years ago and i think my kids are now old enough where they could uh, they could really enjoy it we had a great time we, ju we just found it was a, a extremely safe pleasant country but yet with that um vibe that you often get in big asian cities of of um entrepreneurship and adventure and buzz and uh, and we managed to do a trip to the Halong Bay. Um, I'd love to see how that is today because, you know, I have worries about the environmental impact that tourism is having there. And I'd like yeah. to see if that's they've managed to, to sort that out. I suspect not. Um, but it's just a great, a great country. The food is fantastic. The people are, you know, are very nice. What we liked with my wife in Hanoi was that um, the old French colonial style of some of the some of the buildings and still some of the traditions and still the fact that some of the the older generation speak French and we find that fascinating to be outside yeah. of the world but to still feel you are somewhat in in uh, in somewhere with a with a strong connection with France. Yeah, and and is it something in you know we've talked about Paris in terms of the architecture, the way the city is laid out, the the metro, etc. Is there also something? when you were 14 or on subsequent, you know, when you worked there later in your life or, or even now, is there something about the French language or culture or mindset that just kind of resonates with you that makes it feel familiar somehow that you keep coming back to it or that it feels almost at, at home in a sense? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of, uh, I guess you, you, you get those with, with most cultures, you know, it's both infuriating and, and extremely <laughs> attaching and, and um, I, I, I'm frustrated by the French sort of uh, esprit de contradiction, like they say, you know, I often feel whether it's 
professionally or personally that you can, whatever you say, that a French person's immediate reaction. And, I, and I'm completely generalizing here. I recognize <laughs> that. And I apologize for that. But the first reaction is, well, well no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, c'est pas ça. And, and then you realize actually that it's, it's almost just a default reaction and it's just a way to enter into a discussion. And that often um, they don't really mean it. It's just a, it's just a, a, a kind of way of, of getting into debate. But I, I must say I appreciate the French ability to to enjoy the good things in mm. life. And I don't just mean material things, you know, like food and drink. And I mean sort of, you know, places and time. You know, there's a reason why much of France traditionally shuts down in August. It's yeah. not, it isn't because they're lazy. It's because they appreciate that that's where you get the chance to explore their own, your, your own country, other countries. It's how you get the time to spend proper quality time with with the people that you friends. think about yeah. exactly yeah exactly and if you just only have a week or weeks holiday here and there you just you're just not able to do that and so i do i do like i really appreciate their ability to i guess separate work from personal life and and enjoy what's important in life and the good things in life good places yeah good people and, and yeah you know nice, nice food and drink as well Michael Gill, thank you so much for joining us on Jetlagged. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Jason, thanks a lot. It's been a lot of fun, really interesting, and thanks for the opportunity. And good luck on your next chapter in Montreal. Yeah, we look forward to it, and I'll come back and tell you all about it someday. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Thank thanks you. so much. <laughs>